When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Man vs. Machine. In this episode, Dario and I will be talking about the AFC East, running through our projections on another episode of Man and Machine. We're going to start by talking with the Buffalo Bills. We're going to work into the Miami Dolphins, talk about the New England Patriots, and then work our way over to the newly improved New York Jets. Dario, how are you doing today? Doing great. You know, living living the dream and this is, I think this is a very interesting division. You know, there's Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill come to mind right away if you're just looking at the top of draft boards. So a lot of interesting fantasy things to talk about. Aaron Rodgers, of course, coming to the division is the biggest shakeup. Lots of good stuff to get into here today. How about you, Billy? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, we have already worked our way through the NFC, and now we start our first division inside of the AFC. By the time this wraps up, we are going to be in our first week of July. We're going to have camp kicking off. We're going to have a little bit more news to talk about, be able to talk about our projections a little bit more. We're going to see what happens inside camp. Injuries may be affecting things. We'll probably get some updates on some of the close teams to be watching in terms of competitions in the backfields or the receiving course, or even maybe at the quarterback position. And then we'll be able to dive back into our traditional debates and where we have some some real differences inside of our rankings and projections. But before we dive in, let's go ahead and get a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll hop into these projections. Oh, baseball season's heating up. It's all about baseball right now. eh, Baseball, baseball. Yeah, baseball is the most exploitable of the sports, especially on Rival Fantasy, rivalfantasy.com. Go there now. They have the fantasy book where you can take over under a certain number of fantasy points and they have challenges, but you can take player X or player Y. I get great pleasure out of fading Mike Trout into oblivion. And then don't forget about fantasy bingo where you can say, okay, I think Acuna is going to steal a base today. I think that Freddie Freeman is going to have two hits based on the matchup, the lefty righty and the pitcher quality matchups that you could exploit are unlike any other sport. Go to rivalfantasy.com, Use the promo code player. They refund any losses up to 50 bucks and they are a great supporter of Player Profiler. Everything we do, this show in particular, 
is only possible because of Rival. RivalFantasy.com. The promo code is PLAYER. Let's start off the top of the division. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills, and let's talk about Josh Allen. Josh Allen comes in in our projections as the quarterback number two behind Patrick Mahomes. We have him slaughtered for 16 games. We have a completion percentage of 63.5, so a slight boost in comparison to the expected rate. We do have him throwing for a little over 4,000 passing yards. We have him for about 31 passing touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Uh, we do know that he does some damage on the ground. Uh, we have him projected for roughly 26% of the rush share, which is 119 attempts. And then we have him for a five and a half yard per carry average, 660 rushing yards, takes him to just about eight scores on the ground. How do you feel about this projection? How do you feel about him inside this division? I mean, I think obviously this is a pretty solid projection. I think, too, a lot of things, one thing people should keep in mind when it comes to our quarterback projections is we're pretty uh, conservative when it comes to the touchdown rates. So Josh Allen could have a 40-45 passing touchdown season. We've seen him have some some pretty good years throwing the ball, but we just kind of, we know from history that touchdown rate for passing in general is one of the flukiest stats year over year. You can go from, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, his first year as a starter when he threw those 50 touchdowns was almost a 9% touchdown guy. That's just unsustainable for anyone. So Josh Allen, like you you said, we've got him projected around 5.4% touchdown percentage. It's a little bit lower than where he's been the last couple of years, but that's just because usually it's hard to stay consistently above four and a half without being a really great quarterback. And he is a really good quarterback, which is why he's well over that 5% mark. But I mean, 35, 36, 37 passing touchdowns the last three years. 31 might sound like a conservative projection, but that's just because of the nature of passing touchdowns and the fact that we project 16 games for all the starting quarterbacks rather than 17. Yeah, we added in that that 17th game, and, and it, he very well may play 17 games, but... We look at his history, 2022, he played 16, he played 17, 2021, 16 and 2020, 16 and 2022, or sorry, 2019. Uh, and so we do take a conservative approach, as Dario said, uh, and, and just in general with rankings, right? These are mean projections. We're not looking at ceiling plays because we all know that Josh Allen's ceiling very well could be 40 touchdowns, as Dario just mentioned. Let's talk about the rest of the rushing game, though, since we just talked about some of his rushing stats um, we do have him project. Uh, so the rest of the team, Damian Harris projected for 37% of the rushing share is actually leading this backfield is what we have in projections. That is going to be 170 rushing attempts, 763 rush yards, 6.8 rushing touchdowns. And then closely behind him, we have James Cook in at 33% of the rush share, which is 151 rushing attempts, 681 rushing yards and another five scores on the ground. Uh, we do have some miscellaneous carries going to Naheem Hines and 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 some some minor carries heading over to Kyle Allen uh, and Reggie Gilman is another one. And so overall, we have a two-headed backfield here between Damian Harris and James Cook. Damian Harris is very intriguing to me this year because he has the ability to catch the ball. He's shown efficiency running the ball between the tackles. He's also shown efficiency in the red zone. What is your take on Damian Harris this year as a Buffalo Bill? I think like you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's shown to be very efficient in the red zone. He had that 15 touchdown season with New England a couple years ago. Obviously, he dealt with some injuries last year. He's going about 20 picks later than James Cook in ADP over on Underdog, which 
I think is, you know, kind of justified because he's not known for being as much of a receiving back. But also, I think if one of these guys is going to help the Bills take that goal line load off of Josh Allen's shoulders, it's going to be Damian Harris. We know this is going to be one of the higher scoring offenses in the league. So I'm with you. I think Damian Harris is a pretty savvy 10th round pick in best ball drafts right now and someone that you probably want to be stashing on your rosters in redraft. You know, not anyone who's going to immediately be required, but I think that, you know, this confidence that we're projecting for James Cook to take a leap. I mean, it's a little bit in reading into what the Bills front office has been saying about him. But if you look at his snap shares last season, he only played one game where he went over 50% of snaps and that was week 18. So there's some considerations there to factor in of, you know, does a guy who's 5'11", 199 ever completely take over this backfield and have that upside scenario that people are rooting for? And that's to be seen. I think we're projecting him for some growth this year. I mean, after all, he had 91 carries last year. We're projecting him for 150. So I think that we see his role grow, but that edge outcome that really does see him become a top-tier fantasy asset pretty unlikely yeah you mentioned the 15 touchdown season by Damian Harris in 2021 uh, by far his most productive inside the red zone that that year when he's on the New England England Patriots um he did eclipse 200 carries that year so he stayed healthy he played 15 games for the most part last year we only saw 11 2020 we saw 10 uh we do know that running backs get banged up um but he had from a target standpoint 20 targets. And you mentioned him earlier that saying that he hasn't had a large role inside the passing game, but when he has been given the opportunity to be a pass catcher, he's had a pretty good success rate. He has a 90% catch rate out of the backfield and only has one drops. And this was in 2021. Of course, I'm, I'm just kind of looking up outside of, on the larger scale. So I'm not looking uh, in 20. 22 just because of the shorter season but do you think that he has the ability to to maybe add a a new dynamic to his game here in buffalo or do you think that that is james cook's role i think it's going to be james cook's role to lose and i think also i mean they traded something for naheem hines last year we all thought it was going to become a three-headed backfield and then naheem hines was primarily kick returner with with something small sample i mean you talk about 2021 he had 18 receptions on 20 targets the catch rate to me almost doesn't really matter. I look at the yards per route run. He had 1.13 on 117 routes run, which is usually we look for like 200 routes run for something like that to stabilize and be a true indicator of a player's quality. But the fact that that was, you know, much closer to one is is not not a great indicator for him, I think. I mean, just to look at James Cook last year for comparison, he was 1.65 yards per out run so not you know otherworldly but I'm, I know that Devin Singletary catching passes out of the backfield was one of the most inefficient backs in that regard in all of football for the last couple seasons so I'm sure that they're looking to expand on that dynamic and I think that James Cook is probably going to be the way to go I mean if we look at how we have them projected we have 42 targets projected for Cook and 33 projected for Harris which frankly looking at his historical numbers feels a little bit optimistic yeah it is a little optimistic but i think he he has shown that he's capable uh and i definitely think he will be involved it it might be a little optimistic i think but i think that he has the ability to to be that back and that's why i've actually given him you know a uptick in in that department in comparison to what his career averages are 
Um, maybe half a percent too high, maybe a percent too high. Um, but I still think overall uh, he is a, a viable back, especially at ADP. And, and I, I love his cost right now of where he's going. Let's move on over to the receiving core. Um, we all know that Stefan Diggs is the number one target this, in this offense. Comes in at 28% of the target share for us. Uh, then we have a kind of mixture of receivers here kind of falling in the, into the, the mid to low teen range. So Gabe Davis comes in at 15% of the target share. Khalil Shakir comes in at 11% of the target share. And then we work our way over to the tight ends. And you and I like Dalton Kincaid, but we have definitely kind of pumped the brakes in terms of the expectations for Dalton Kincaid in his rookie campaign. They still have Dawson Knox on the team as well, who comes in at 9.5% target share. And then we just talked about the backs, like James Cook at 7%, Damian Harris around 5%. How are we feeling about the wide receiver two inside of Buffalo this year? And is it possible for Dalton Kincaid to carve out a larger role than what we have projected? I think that this is the biggest weakness on their roster, and they, they were exposed for that down the stretch last year. And I mean, obviously, Josh Allen's elbow injury kind of complicated matters for the Bills down down the stretch for their season last year anyway. But I think we've seen that Gabe Davis isn't, you know, someone that you can count on week in, week out to to dominate in that number two role. I think 15 percent is right around where he belongs. And I think that probably will end up being second most targets. I think that my concern with Kincaid is that it's kind of getting he's getting that label of, oh, he's just going to be an offensive weapon. And that sometimes to me reads a little bit like the coaches don't know what they're going to do with him yet. Like there's, I think there's a very real chance that he's not on the field very much early in the season. And I think that, you know, Dawson Knox isn't going to go anywhere. They're still paying him. I mean, God, remember when Dawson Knox signed that contract and everyone thought he was, he was locked in in dynasty mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the bills were paying him and he was going to be attached to, to Josh Allen. And you know, that, that four-year, $52 million extension uh, is not looking so great, but I don't think he's going to fall off the face of the earth just because they are paying him all that money. So I, I don't know. It's it's tough for me to stomach the price that Kincaid is going at right now in redraft. I mean, tight end 11 for a rookie tight end. We've seen very few rookie tight ends deliver on this much hype. Well, the Dawson Knox enthusiasm fell off because the NFL stands not for long Dario and it was not long ago (laughs) that he signed that contract let's move on to the Miami Dolphins Tua I can't pronounce his last name I'm not even going to try I have never been able to pronounce his last name so I'm just going to call him Tua Tua comes in in her projections only on a 14 game uh, expected active games we have him projected for roughly 3,800 yards 29 touchdowns and roughly 10 interceptions if we knew that we were going to get 16 games out of Tua, I think that you could argue that he is probably quarterback five through seven range. But the health is the major concern here. Uh, and we all know that he has had some scary concussions as of late. And it, one more of those could potentially end his career. Uh, it's hard to project for injuries, but I think it's safe to say he may not finish the season at least in a full capacity of 16 or 17 games. Um, and I and I think it's pretty safe to project at this point in his career. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he came coming out of college. Remember, he had that gnarly hip injury at Alabama. Um, so that was the first, first sign of him, you know, having something that he was recovering from in his NFL career. And then, I mean, the concussions last year, that was, that was some really scary stuff. 
And we've seen the reports that he very seriously considered retiring this offseason. So I think that, you know, very, very much a legit concern there. And we know that um, we know that concussions are not as fluky and random as other injuries. Concussions do tend to lead to more concussions. I think there there's still some hope. I mean, I remember Brandon Cooks was a big like concussion concern for a few years there. And, you know, he's, he's had a couple healthy seasons under his belt since. But I think at the end of the day, it's definitely something that you have to factor in when you're pushing the button to draft him. It's factored into his ADP. And I think, we you know, you just have to factor it into projections. So in those 14 games, he's coming in at 3,800 yards, 29 touchdowns. I mean, we know that he's going to be extremely efficient. One of the highest yards per attempt that we project because he's going to be throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. Mike McDaniel was an offensive guru when he had all of these guys healthy last year. So we project him to be very efficient for the games he's there. But, you know, we can't project him as solidly for 16 games as some of these other quarterbacks. Looking to the rushing game, they add Devon A-Chain inside of the draft, uh, who you and I are both high on. Uh, however, they still have the likes of Raheem Mostert. They still have the likes of Jeff Wilson. We are now hearing in the news that they are looking to pursue Dalvin Cook from the Minnesota Vikings. This could potentially become a pretty messy backfield. It already is a three-headed monster. We do not want it to be a four-headed monster. That would probably look to be some cuts anyhow. But Devon A-Chain, in my opinion, has the most upside. We do have him projected for actually third on the depth chart in terms of rushing share. But where we have him winning this battle is in the passing game comparison to the other ones. So let's just work our way down to the rushing share. Jeff Wilson roughly comes in at 30% of the rushing share, which is 126 rushing attempts. We have Moster at 26.5% of the rushing share, which is 111 rushing attempts. And then we have A-Chain at 25% of the rushing share, which is 105 rushing attempts. And in the passing game, Jeff Wilson coming in at just, just about 5% of the target share. We have Raheem Moster at just about 4% of the target share. And then we have Devon A-Chain at roughly 8% of target share. How do you feel about this backfield? I think, like you said, if... If Dalvin Cook were to sign here, uh, it would get really ugly really fast. I think that Devon A-Chain is super exciting. I mean, I, I love his profile. Um, and I've you know, been definitely trying to get a lot of exposure to him in Dynasty. I think that, I mean, Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert are two of, I mean, two of the most injured backs. I mean, you know this, you're a 49ers fan. Like, these guys in this system do tend to have a lot of injuries. We hope that won't be the case for A-Chain. But I think another body here in the backfield does end up making sense. I mean, you factor in the running backs that are still available. I mean, to count on, I mean, we have, you know, Wilson currently projected for 126 carries, Mostert for another 111. I think to count on those two guys to combine for 200 plus carries, if I were an NFL GM, seems like a pretty risky roll of the dice. Um, but yeah, like like you said, I think from a fantasy perspective, Devon A-Chain, we haven't projected for 50 targets, comes out to 36 receptions. And almost 300 receiving yards as a rookie definitely helps him pull away in terms of fantasy relevance between these three running backs. Uh, the other pass catchers that we have, of course, are Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell. Uh, we have the likes of Robbie Anderson, or what is it, Chosen now? Is that what he goes by? Yeah, he's Chosen, chosen Anderson. Yeah, Chosen, <laughs> chosen Anderson, <laughs> Cedric Wilson, River Craigcraft, Braxton Berrios, and then at the tight end position. And this is where it gets interesting because – Tight end wise, all they really have is Durham Smith, and then they have Elijah Higgins, who they took in this year's draft, and Eric Sobert. That is it. 
I remember our early discussion when we were looking at the projections and Durham was coming in as like tight end 39. And I said, well, we look at it. There's just nobody else here. And we both said, but we don't want people to draft them, right? It's just like, we don't want to like, tell our, our subscribers that this is somebody you want to target. Does that change for you here today now in June when they haven't really added anybody outside of Elijah Higgins' position? I mean, it's it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, I'm looking at the underdog ADP right now and Elijah Higgins is actually still listed as a wide receiver on their <laughs> platform. So even if you thought Elijah Higgins was a sleeper who had a chance at breaking out, he's definitely not worth drafting on underdog right now until his eligibility is changed to tight end, just as a as a warning for, for all of our subscribers out there. I think that <laughs> it's just hard to get excited about Durham Smythe, Smith. I don't know. It, either way, I mean, it shows you uh, how much we project his relevance to be. And I think that Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill are just both alphas when it comes to commanding targets. There's easily going to be 50, 55, 60% of the targets between those two guys most weeks. So everyone else is kind of going to be left picking up the scraps. I think that, you know, at tight end 38 where he's going, you could occasionally throw a dart on Smythe, but it's it's kind of... um it's I would do it on teams where I've already drafted Tua. You know, like if you're betting on a team where your lineup relies on Tua having a ceiling year, maybe that involves five or six touchdowns for Smythe, some some surprising weeks. But I think that's about it for the way I'd be drafting him. Tyreek Hill is my wide receiver three. I think you and I have had this debate before. Cooper Cup, I believe, was who you had ahead of Tyreek Hill. Is that still accurate? No, no, no. I was I was pounding the table for Tyreek Hill um, ahead of Jamar Chase as our wide receiver too, but that's that's since uh, that's since gone out the window. Yeah, Chase is now the number one in the projections, but only by zero point four points. So it is very close to Justin Jefferson, and then we have Tyreek Hill actually in a, in a slight tier below there, about what is that, fifteen fantasy points roughly below Justin Jefferson. So it is. It at least is pretty close in terms of, of fantasy points overall. Let's move on over to the New England Patriots. Mac Jones is, of course, still the projected starter. Bailey Zappi is at least started to or slotted to at least play some games in our projections. But for the time being, we will focus primarily on Mac Jones. We have projected for 3,100 passing yards, 19 passing touchdowns, and almost 11 interceptions. Not much on the ground outside of scrambles, only 130 rushing yards and one Touchdown on the ground. Other running backs we have are Mondre Stevenson, who everyone knows I'm high on at 48% of the rush air. <laughs> that is 217 rushing attempts and 976 rushing yards with eight scores. And then we have Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris combining for 19% of the rushing share and James Robinson in there as well. How do we feel about this backfield? How do you feel about Mac Jones at helm? Let's 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 hash this one out. I think that. The most interesting thing about the Patriots offense coming into this season is Bill O'Brien coming in as the offensive coordinator because last year we know they were a total clown car uh, being run by Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. So I think that this at least gives them a fighting chance to be a more competent offense. I think that Mac Jones has a chance to go back to having, you know, some of that. He was much more efficient his rookie year than last year. So I think that there's some hope there for him as well. In terms of the backfield, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Ramondre Stevenson looked like a stud last year. 
I think it's going to be tough for him to repeat just how many targets he saw last year. I mean, he we haven't projected for 76 targets last year. That was, um, I mean, he was, let's pull it Did up he right like now. 87? I think it was like 87. He had 69 receptions on 89 targets. Yeah, number three among Ooh, running backs. Close. So we have him. We haven't projected for a slight dip down to 76, which I think is pretty reasonable that some of those games last year where he was getting double digit targets. I mean, you would hope that with a better offensive infrastructure around, they won't be relying on throwing to their running backs as much. But the departure of Damian Harris is absolutely huge when it comes to Stevenson's role on the ground. So, I mean, he had 210 carries last year. We project him for slightly more than that at 217. But the fact that he's no longer going to have to potentially split that backfield, I think there's room for him to take that even further. I mean, we haven't projected for just under a thousand rushing yards and he got over a thousand last year. So I think that this is a pretty middle of the road projection and I definitely can see the optimism that you've got for him. Yeah, you just mentioned the the targets that we haven't projected for. The rest of the pass catchers, we have Juju Smith-Schuster leading the wide receiver core at 20% of the targets, uh, which is 109 total targets. Uh, from there, it is it gets pretty messy pretty quick. We are believing this will look like a lot of 12 personnel. So we have Jaseki and Hunter Henry actually as the number two and three options. From there, we have Tyquan Thornton at a very close second behind Hunter Henry. And then it just falls off from there to Keishon Booty, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker. We would have to believe that they are not done at the position. Uh, but as of today, this is what we are left with. Do you believe or I should say are you confident in my projections here that we're going to see a lot of 12 personnel I mean it's it seems like out of necessity right like I mean there there could be a lot of just heavier packages in general I think that maybe we see some like multiple like running back formations a lot of stuff like that where they're getting heavier just overall um kind of like what we saw the Bears or the Falcons do last year but I mean this 20% target share for Juju feels pretty optimistic. He's been barely at a 20% target rate the last couple of seasons. So, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that there's literally no one else in this offense, I'd feel much more comfortable projecting him for like 17 and a half, which probably comes out to, that would be more like 95 targets, which, you know, it's, it's splitting hairs, but I think that 20% feels a little bit on the optimistic side. And I think, feel the same way slightly toward Gesicki. I mean, it's kind of tough to analyze him right now because he just had no role last year on the Dolphins. They they were like, oh, you can't block. Well, then uh, say goodbye to playing football, I guess. Um, Because, I mean, he had an 18% target share in 2021. That literally halved to 9% last season. And he saw 16% in 2020, 15% in 2019. So I think that He's someone who can maybe go back to that range, but they, this just isn't the most pass-heavy team in general. I think that, you know, we saw that last year with, I mean, there was, I think it was two off-seasons ago now that they signed Hunter Henry and John U. Smith, and everyone was like, what's Bill Belichick doing? Maybe they will run a lot of 12 personnel. Maybe they will both get the usage. And really, we never saw that come to fruition, so that makes me a little bit skeptical that we'll see Henry and Jasicki combine for almost 150 targets. This is the only team that I look at that I look at everybody and project it for and say that may be too high. Let's listen to this. Devontae Parker, 5%. That's 
almost 30 targets for him. I'm like, eh, slightly too high. Kendrick Bourne, 10%, 54 targets. Eh, kind of seems high. Keishon Booty, 7% as a rookie coming into Bill Check offense, 38 targets. Eh, kind of seems high. Tyquan Thornton, 10%, 55 targets. Same thing. Juju Smith-Schuster, you just talked about it, 109 targets. Same thing. Hunter Henry, 60 targets. Same thing. Mike Jacecki, 81 targets. Same thing. Maybe we should just give it all to Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I mean, of all those names that you mentioned, I think Devontae Parker is probably the most interesting one that maybe we oh, could get out of give, here. give another percent or two. I mean, he had 47 targets last year, and he's never been below that number in his career. So as long he's as he's running... dog water and he's old. Yeah. As long as he's running routes, I think he can probably get to this 27 targets. But like you said, everyone else, I mean, Kendrick Bourne for 54 feels really optimistic. He just had like two big games last year. Keishon Booty, like you said, sixth round pick. Pretty doubtful. Tyquan Thornton, very interesting dart throw where he's going, you know, in like 170th pick in ADP. But it's, a, it's risky. I mean, the guy played like four games in his rookie year and he weighs like less than I do. So <laughs> it's it's definitely like I, I agree with you. It's It's just an offense where you're like, where could these targets possibly go? Maybe they do go back to Ramondre Stevenson and he's the RB1 this year. Who knows? I'm, I'm punching it back up right now. I've moved him back to 15% target share. I am actually going to reduce Juju right now on air to 19%. <laughs> and I'm actually going to give Ramondre Stevenson another half percent. Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take away a half a percent from Jacecki. That feels a little better. <laughs> where did that move Ramondre to? I, I don't even want <laughs> RB five. It's it's funny because I, I agree with you generally, but it just it's it's I, I think that like I would I be surprised if this happens? No. I, is it a medium median outcome? I don't think so. This might be the floor for Mother Stevenson, <laughs> Dario. This might be the floor. Uh let's talk about another team who saw a pretty disgusting floor last year with Zach Wilson under helm. They finally add a quarterback. Everyone says they're a quarterback away from potential Super Bowl, and that is the New York Jets. They acquired Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. They get Nathaniel Hackett. Those two are, are, are back together at the hip. We have Aaron Rodgers for 16 games, which is 573 pass attempts, which is higher than his, his previous few, few years in Green Bay. Uh, we give him 4,200 passing yards and some change, 31 touchdowns roughly, and 13 interceptions roughly. And I'm feeling pretty good about it. What's your what's your take on Rodgers this year? I think, yeah, it's funny. Right as you started talking about it, I think we probably, I, I wanted to check sort of what the pace of play and pass attempt projections were there because, I mean, we saw last year, I think a, a lot of the hype that is going toward Garrett Wilson is based on his splits with and without Zach Wilson. But if mm -hmm. you look at the games that Zach Wilson missed, I mean, there was games where Joe Flacco was attempting 60 passes last year for this team. And that's just ridiculous volume that that no quarterback in the history of the world is going to maintain over the course of a season. So I think that the that split of with and without Zach Wilson for Garrett Wilson has been a little bit misleading. And I think people are not fully factoring in just how slow Aaron Rodgers offense has run yep. like historically in Green Bay, as well as specifically looking at the years that he was with Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, we look at they were 32nd in pace of play in 2021 and 30th in pace of play in 2020, his back-to-back -back MVP seasons. 
I don't think that they're a team that's going to want to air the ball out. I think, if anything, this is, I mean, screaming at me that we need to turn down the pass attempts even more on the Jets. Yeah, this is actually, this is a pretty good, what is this? Almost, this is like 5% decrease in passing attempts from last year. And you're right. It may not be enough because when we look at Aaron Rodgers historically, he has only hit this number, 573 is what we projected for, twice in his career. And he's been in the league since 2005. He came very close in 2015. He had 572. He surpassed it in 2016 with 610. And he surpassed it in 2018 at 597. Outside that, looking since 2018, he's had 569, which was 2019, 526, 531, 542. This would actually coincide with my belief. And we've talked about this on this show. I've talked about it with Matt on The Dominator. I've talked about it with Theo on First Class Fantasy. My belief is that we do see Aaron Rodgers run an offense like he has for the last 15, 16, 17 years inside the National Football League, where he is a slower pace, as you just mentioned. But now he has a defense that he can rely on. They have running backs that they can rely on. Brees Hall is ahead of schedule. He's looking like he's going to play. They're not going to rush him into things. So they might be a little pass heavier in the beginning of the season. But I think as they actually work in to week six, week seven, week eight, they start to get in that rhythm that we've seen Aaron Rodgers do, where he controls the pace of play. He slows down the field. He relies on his defense. And especially with this Jets defense, who I'm projecting to be a top four defense in the league this year, we may see a lot more of that. And it very well may be like a 550 pass attempts, a 540 pass attempt season. And that's within the realm of possibilities here for Aaron Rodgers. For sure. I mean, I think, and once you start tinkering around with the team passes, Hemp's that tier of wide receivers after Amon Ross St. Brown, C.D. Lamb, and Devontae Adams. I mean, like, wide receivers 10 through 20 are super tight. And I think, you know, you, you take away a handful of pass attempts. You see Garrett Wilson drop from wide receiver 11 in our rankings to, like, wide receiver 17. And then you really start to need that jump in efficiency from Aaron for his receiving stats due to Aaron Rodgers in order for him to pay off even like to break even on what his eight cost is in ADP right now. But, you know, you were talking about the defense and the running game for the jets. And what came to mind for me is they started out five and two before Brees Hall tore his ACL. And that was their formula and they were winning games with it. And I think that obviously you change that to some degree when you bring in a future hall of fame quarterback. But I think Aaron Rodgers knows he's almost 40. He's not going to, He's he's not going to change who he is. He's not going to become a guy who's going to throw the ball 650 times. So I think that some of that optimism for for just like the overall passing volume of this offense is definitely a little bit misguided. So I just made some adjustments to the overall attempts. We had him at 608 attempts, I believe. We just just moved him down to 585. So not a a massive hit, but it is a slight decrease. Just that alone moved Aaron Rodgers from quarterback 12, it's what we had in our projections, to quarterback 15. So now he's behind Tua, he's behind Geno Smith, and he is just ahead of Daniel Jones by about a point and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that this is where having the slightly conservative efficiency rates potentially hurts us, right? I mean, if you look at the... like. Like the expected passing touchdown percentage for Rodgers versus what we're actually projecting. I mean, I think 
if you give him a spike that's a little bit closer to what is expected there, and then like did did that just move him up at all? Give him a couple more touchdowns. That moved him back to twelve. Yeah, so that that kind of does it. It shows you. I mean, projections are very much a, a juggling act, but I think that you know, kind of that's probably still where he should be ranked. That's kind of where he's going. It's this tier in general. I mean, we're talking about with that, you just gave him a, a boost in efficiency, the touchdown category that put him back to 299 total fantasy points. So you have Geno's or you have Kirk cousins at 296 so three fantasy points. You have Geno Smith at 295 and you have Tua at 291. So we're talking about a total of nine fantasy points separating this entire tier where one thing can go any way for either the, any of these players and really mm-hmm. kind of change the landscape of quarterback 12 for 15. And I remember we had this exact conversation with um, NFC West when we were talking about Geno Smith because these guys are all really tight. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess we can move on to the backfield. Like you said the other day, we, we moved Brees Hall's like a rush attempt share projection up based on the reports that he's hitting 22 miles an hour in you know training in OTAs already and it's it was it was May when we got that report so he's he's doing great on his ACL recovery we have him projected for 211 carries almost a thousand rushing yards 973 6.8 rushing touchdowns which feels maybe a little bit low probably need to improve the touchdown rate on Brees Hall for for you know to make that projection a little more accurate and then also, I mean, we know that he was a great weapon in the receiving game last year. 11% of the targets is our current projection. Comes out to 64 targets, almost 400 receiving yards, and another three touchdowns through the air. So, Brees Hall, I think that he's going to be, between him and Garrett Wilson, I mean, they have just a great young focal points of this offense. Yeah, I agree. I think the touchdown rate is low. Let's 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 just bump it now while we're on, on the podcast. Let's... Let's move it more like to like 3.8, 3.9% even. Yeah, yeah I usually yeah. you know default to like 3.5, 3.6 for a running back. And I think this offense is projected to improve. So I think 3.8 makes good sense. So he was, before we just did that, he was at RB12. Uh, once we made the adjustments inside of the rushing attempts with the last bit of news, that boost in touchdowns just moved him to, no, kept him at RB12. So, oh, no. RB11. So, but up once Najee Harris, which that's about what drafts are doing, rooms are doing. And I think we've said this before. If we knew that Brees Hall was healthy today, a real case could be made for him to be DRB1 in, in football based upon what his his beginning of the season looked like last year as a rookie. I mean, it's it's he has undoubted talent as a back, both in the passing game and on the ground. And what he's able to do with the football in his hand is just an, an amazing skill set. Uh, all it is is that knee that's holding him back right now. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the rest of this uh, team. Let's we uh, we don't really need to talk about Michael Carter, Zonovan Knight, or Israel Gedekanda. <laughs> I think between the all four, all three of them, we're talking about 45 percent of the rushing share. Uh, pure handcuff plays at this point, but passing game, we do have uh, the Twitter darling Garrett Wilson right now. Uh, leading the pack at 26% of the target share. He comes in as wide receiver 12 in our projections. Uh, he's at 152 targets, and we do have him for 1,100 receiving yards and eight and a half scores. But we have 
Alan Lazard at 15.5% of the target share, which is 91 targets, roughly uh, 750 receiving yards, approximately, and four touchdowns. Uh, we also have Tyler Conklin at 11%, and we also have McCole Hardman at 12.5%. Seems slightly high on Hardman, but they have been talking about getting him more active in a package on the field, whether it's going to be behind the line of scrimmage, it's going to be they're looking at creative ways to get him the ball. How do you feel about this offense and the receiving options that that uh, Aaron Rodgers has in 2023? I mean, I think your comment about Michael Hardman is interesting because he's always one of those guys when you're doing projections, you don't really want to give him any targets. He seems like just kind of getting in the way of the guys that you really want to see succeed in fantasy. But he was always, you know, last three years, he's been between 10 and 13 percent of the target share in Kansas City. Like you said, I think that they signed him for a reason. I think they're going to use him in some gimmicky stuff and he's going to end up right around that 10% target share again. I think Lazard is the player I'm most concerned with the floor falling out entirely, you know, just because he's, I mean, he's not exactly old, but we know what he is. He's very much a typical average NFL receiver. So I think that he has a chance to get usurped entirely by Garrett Wilson. And I think it's, you know, it's not the most exciting array of weapons in the league. I think that I can see why people might say, oh, Garrett Wilson's going to take a leap and become a 30% level, you know, the next Devontae Adams to Aaron Rodgers and and become that wide receiver one overall because there's definitely the enough space in the pie for him to do that. But it's just not something that that seems like, a you know, something we can project. Alan Lazard has actually surprised folks the last couple of years. I remember having a bet with another analyst that he would finish better than wide receiver 50 last year. And he finished as wide receiver 34 in fantasy points per game the year prior in 2021. Uh, also with Aaron Rodgers, these, 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 these statistics for wide receiver 44 in points per game. So it's not like we are expecting Alan Lazard to come out and be a wide receiver two or wide receiver one, although he may have that in the cards on any given week in terms of a blow-up touchdown game. We are just saying that he has the possibility to be a back-end wide receiver three, high-end wide receiver four in fantasy um, just because of his chemistry that he has with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think that's all perfectly reasonable. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they still haven't, done anything with Corey Davis yet, right? Like, no, I mean, he's still I there. Like he's he's someone that we thought, you know, is probably going to get cut as a cap casualty or get traded, but he's still there hanging out. And I mean, if he's on the field, he's going to get his seven, eight, 10% of the targets. So that's going to be an interesting piece of the puzzle to see how it plays out between now yeah, this, and week one. This one's been interesting to me because he's a cap hit of 11 million, but dead cap hit is only $666,000. I thought for sure he would be gone just based upon the math and the contract. If if he's not moved, I think that this target share that we currently haven't projected for is a little bit low. This was me kind of working my way down into believing that he was going to be released. But here we are. It's June now, and he still hasn't. And so I believe if, if this remains to be true, we probably need to bump him up 3%, move McCole Hardman down 2%, right? Maybe just I think Lazar definitely takes a, a pretty big hit too because they're Absolutely. both just kind of you know veteran guys who can pro- probably project for similar roles. That's right. Well, that concludes our AFC East projections discu- discussion. Um, 
We will be back next week as we talk about the AFC North and work our way down through the AFC. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we'll see you all next week. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.